You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here from Locked On Nationals podcast. Today it is August 30th. 2021, and on today's show, I talk with Dan Wilson of Locked On Phillies. Talk about the National League East and where these two teams sit in kind of the tumultuous ride of the Phillies. Then we preview the Nationals-Phillies series. We talk about the debuting of K-Bear Ruiz, the debuting of the battery of Josiah Gray and K-Bear Ruiz. We talk about the, the matchups the rest of the way in this series as well. Hope you all enjoy. All right, we're going to cross it over like we always do when these teams play. Uh, I am Josh Neighbors of Locked On Nationals. Dan Wilson joins me. Locked On Phillies. It is the crossover that everybody, I don't know if they wanted it, but they're going to get it, Dan. Uh, that's the deal with these. Um, look, so I don't know about you, but I am being pressed into football mode because a couple things. One, I'm not gearing up for any type of Nationals playoff run, uh, more just prospects kind of paying attention to those those type situations. Right now, I know you guys have a Phillies potential playoff run right now, but I'm gearing up for football because I'm seeing articles. I'm not sure if you saw this, but ESPN got duped into uh, to putting on television a game between essentially like a, a fake charter high school against IMG yesterday. Um, it was a completely bizarre story, but once you give me those kinds of weird, fun football stories, my mind and my attention turn, especially if you're asking me to, to you know, to, you know, you say, Hey, the Nats suck. Um, and there's football coming, you know, it, my excitement, not my full attention, I guess you could say my excitement is beginning to turn towards the pigskin. Yeah, it sounds like no one hates the Nationals more than the Locked On Nationals host. I mean, that's yeah. kind of been the case here for a while now. Nationals not really giving you much of a reason, not giving uh, those with natitude, if you will, much of a mm. reason to be excited uh, down the stretch in September. Unfortunately, the Phillies, while they're mathematically in it, have sent the fan base and those who follow them on a regular basis through so much frustration that while they are, there's still a shot. It's not a shot that I think anyone with a realistic pulse believes in. I mean, maybe there are some just really – there's always going to be the optimists out there, right? I do not believe in this team to make the postseason. The expectations were certainly far higher for this Phillies team to be a postseason team. Given the, the National League East where it is this season, there's no excuse for them to not win. There hasn't been an excuse all year for them to not win the National League East, and especially when they started this month off with an eight-game winning streak and actually not only sniffed, but got themselves into first place with a two-and-a-half game lead just to squander it away with poor play and uh, over the past month, not even the past month. Like the last time the Phillies and Nationals played August 2nd through the 5th, that was smack in the middle of an eight-game winning streak, which included a win over the Pirates and then a three-game sweep over the Mets. And this Phillies team just has not been the same ever since. It seems like this team cannot 
escape 500 for that long, no matter what the case is, they're always going to revert back to it. They're currently 66 and 64, two games above 500 as they enter this series against the Nats. They're four and a half games out of a of the division behind the Braves. They're four games out of the wild card, but would have to jump a couple of teams there. I don't love the chances. I mean, there's there's still a shot. You know, that it, it's still mathematically possible. They have three games with the Braves remaining at the end of September. So you say, all right, if you can get yourself within a couple of games there and then you take care of business in Atlanta, I just have no confidence that they're going to do it. Reese Hoskins is now out for the rest of the year. Zach Eflin looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the year. But I'm not blaming this season on injuries. They've had more than enough chances. And unfortunately, I just think they have put themselves in a position where maybe they'll make it interesting again. I just don't see it happening. Quick pause in the action to let you guys know today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag. The preseason is over, everybody, so it is time for the regular season in the NFL. Also, college football begins this week, and the only place to bet on all of that action is at betonline.ag. Not only that, they've got Formula One, they've got NASCAR, they've got MMA, they've got boxing, they've got MLB, they've got futures, the NBA, and NHL, and soccer, whatever sport you guys want to bet on, whatever else, politics too, you want to bet on that, you can find it all at betonline.ag. It's free to sign up. You can do it on your iPhone. You can do it on your tablet or your computer. Use the promo code Locked On when you do. You get a sign-up bonus, or deposit bonus, rather, on your first deposit. BetOnline, my friends, they are your online sportsbook experts. Well, um, you know, they've put themselves in a spot. Yeah, I mean, everybody in this division has had their run. Right, the Nats had it earlier than everybody else, and then injuries did them in. Obviously, they traded off the team. The Mets had their run it was a bit longer than the other teams, and the Braves' run will end up being roughly at two months, um, as they're at the top now. And that Phillies' run was quick. It was, uh, it was fun. I guess Phillies fans for a second. It was very much 2015 Nationals versus Mets, where the Mets. Um, swept the Nats, right, and and powered themselves in, in front of the division. And then uh, the Phillies, kind of, or the, the Nationals, rather, excuse me, the Mets took the role of the Nats getting swept, giving up the division lead. The Phillies took the role of the Mets and just kind of rolled on. But then, like I said, things halted. And really the big story was the Braves played at a much more consistently quality le- consistent quality level than everybody else in the division did. Um and they've done it without their their best pitcher, ostensibly. Uh, you know, uh, Mike Soroka at his best when healthy. I know it's been a while since we've seen him, but probably is the best pitcher in the rotation, and also their best position player in Ronald, or arguably their best position player in Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, that's just what good teams do. And the Braves are an arguably good, arguably great team. And, and when I mean not just this year's team, but think about the versions before, right? The Last couple of years, the Braves had some really great teams, and last year their team uh, was one win away from making the World Series, and a World Series they most likely would have been favored to win. So I am of the mind that the Braves are the sleeping giant in the division, and they were able to absorb mediocre play. They were able to absorb losses to important players, and they were able to um, basically wait out the other teams because nobody played well enough. And they have taken advantage of their opportunity. And then they took two or three this weekend from the Giants. It just shows you they're a strong, it's a, it's a strong group they've got in Atlanta. 
I agree with you. I don't see them relenting in the division. But the good news for the Phillies is that their schedule is very favorable as they close out the rest of the season. They've got, uh, I think this is the last series they've got with the Nationals. So I know that's a little bit unfortunate, but I believe they still have a series with the Pirates, right? They've got a series with the Orioles coming up left. Uh, I'm trying to pull the schedule right now with my computer. Yeah, the, they got four against the Rockies. Right, they, they got, got they got Washington, this, they, Colorado, the Cubs at home. A got, series in Miami. Which, they've got seven in a row of Colorado, four of Colorado, and three of against Chicago. The Cubs, yes. At home. Then they've got seven uh, after a trip to New York. They've got seven at home, three with Baltimore, four with Pittsburgh. And like you mentioned, they've got those three in Miami to close out the season. So they've got plenty of opportunities. But like you've talked about, this is not a team that's went and grabbed those opportunities. And to me, it's because they lack quality starting pitching. You can't be throwing out Matt Moore out there anymore. It's just not going to – I mean, it's like John Lester at this point. It's just not – you might get lucky at once in a, once in a month, but it's not going to work for you. So it's funny you say – so I want to go – I'm going to go one by one by some of the points you just hit there. Yeah. Number one, I – 100% agree with you on the Braves point. It feels like they've almost rope a this division perfectly where it's the point where they have absorbed losing their best player, have absorbed tons of bad pitching in their own sense and have gotten to this point saying, looking around in the month of August, you know, and they're like, huh, well, no one really ran away with this division. The Mets, they let it for a while. That was fun. They totally fell off. Now they're, you know, kind of flipping off their own fans in a sense. The Phillies are quite literally, yeah, ju- jumping into first place, looking around, saying ah, they'll only hold it for about a week. That ended up being true. They'll fall off. They're a 500 team. We, the Atlanta Braves, we were in Game Seven of the NLCS last year. We've won this division four times in a row, and just like it seems like we always do, we're going to find a way to win this division. Doesn't matter if we're down our best player. We're too good, and quite frankly, the other teams, our competition. They're frauds anyway. We're going to win this division anyway. It'll only take 86 wins or so. That's all we need. They're already at the 70 win mark as of right now. They could easily get to that point by the end of the season. And you know what? We take advantage of the teams that are in front of us. We're going to beat up on the bad teams, unlike the Phillies, unlike the Mets. And we're going to also actually play well and go out to San Francisco and win two out of three. Like They don't squander... If you let the Braves hang around long enough as they have, like everyone could have seen this coming. My favorite soundbite to be playing at WIP these days, uh, and I've done it a few times now, one reference to the Phillies is Dennis Green's They Are Who We Thought They Were. Like We thought they were a 500 team, and this is what they've turned into again. And now the Braves are turning out to who we thought they were. Like We maybe fooled ourselves for those first four months saying, all right, the Mets are going to just win this division and the Phillies take over. Now it's the Phillies chance to win this division. And now we're about to enter the month of September and it's kind of the division shaking out back to a lot of people's initial predictions. So I can't say I'm surprised. I'm surprised that maybe it took this specific journey to get here, but it makes the excuse for the Phillies all that much worse because not that I would have excused, not that I ever excused away failure to miss, miss the playoffs when you have the payroll that the Phillies do. But when you literally had yourself in first place in the month of August and just failed to play slightly above 500 baseball the rest of the way, which, by the way, would have you in first place right now when your offense falls asleep and you fail to 
win games. I mean, they got swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks, Josh. Swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks. So I don't want to hear the easy schedule argument. You know, I had our uh, good pal Anthony DeBundo on to talk about the mm. easy schedule uh, at the beginning of August. And he's telling me about this team's got seven with the Diamondbacks and they got games with the Marlins and the Nationals and the Rockies and the Orioles and the Pirates and the Cubs. And I'm like, you know, I'd love to believe that that's really going to be advantageous for this team. But this team has shown a consistent history of playing down to their competition and quite frankly, playing down to their competition, especially in dead atmospheres. Like They've struggled in Miami for years. They went out to Arizona. Very similar vibe out there right now. They're not drawing well, as you can imagine. One of the worst teams in all of baseball. And they just sleepwalk through those games. Like I don't know if it's because they're at 10 o'clock at night Eastern or because there's no one there and they just lack spark or because the offense, just frankly, isn't that good. At a certain point, though, I suppose if you continue playing down to your competition, maybe that's the level you really are. Like, it seems a little weird that they seem to be more energized for home games, for bigger opponents than when you go there. But if you're not going to take advantage against the good teams, and we're going to excuse that away, you have to beat up on the bad teams. The Braves do it much better than the Phillies do. And that's why I just don't buy the easy schedule argument, especially with the current position they're in. Now, in reference to the pitching, it's interesting you say that because that is what my complaint was for the majority of the season. But I actually, so I work my podcast today. In addition to crossing over with Miller Thomas from Locked on Diamondbacks, I recorded my own episode too. And I think this remaining, these remaining 32 games they have is actually on the offense. I feel as good about this starting rotation as I have all season. Zach Wheeler has not had his best stretch of starts here. Big start for him tonight down in D.C. Aaron Nola has been inconsistent all year, but most recently in this Diamondback series, at least kept you competitive in the game. Kyle Gibson has been a really, really good acquisition for this team. Ranger Suarez has been the anti-Spencer Howard. They have, he's literally pitched in every possible role you can think of. I mean, the dude's mm-hmm. been a middle reliever, a long innings middle reliever, the closer this season, a starter who's on a pitch count limit going from like 50 to 60 to 75 to 90. Now he has been stretched out in the course of just a few months, so he can seemingly go 95 to 100 pitches in a game and has been really, really effective in that role. Matt Moore, no, I don't love him, and no one was energized by the fact that they got him or Chase Anderson. Chase Anderson DFA'd, by the way. Didn't see that coming. Didn't work out. That's $3 million the Phillies will never see back again. But Matt Moore is what a lot of teams' fifth starters look like. I mean, not really like super, super good teams. I'm saying World Series teams. That's what their fifth starter looked like. But there are five starters around baseball who you don't most fan bases don't feel energized when that guy goes out of the mound. And he is given some serviceable starts. I still wish they would have gotten another starter at the trade deadline and feel even better about the rotation. But the point is that for the most part, the starting pitchers they're putting out there and the fact that the bullpen hasn't been great, but it's been far better than it was a year ago. I think they're now 20th in bullpen ERA. They were dead last by a long shot. Last year, they have found, and even more recently, they have found better roles for certain guys. Hector Neris has half the ERA he does in the closers role when he pitches in a middle relief spot. Ian Kennedy has been shaky. Archie Bradley was good for a while there. He struggled as of late. But when the bullpen actually seems to be managed correctly and they know when to go to the bullpen, which has been an issue with Joe Girardi in and of itself, I think the pitching more often than not recently has given this team a chance. I've been more disappointed with the offense. They're still not getting guys on base for Bryce Harper. JT Realmuto's OPS is below 
800. Gene Segura fell right off a cliff. Andrew McCutcheon fell right off a cliff. And this lineup is just not deep enough, not good enough, especially with the injuries it's sustained to push this team into the postseason. And frankly, it's just fallen asleep one too many times, I think, to try and make up this deficit. And I think that will be the X factor. If they're going to have any chance, this offense is this team was built around offense. It was a top five offense in baseball last year. That's what's going to need to carry this team because the pitching, you kind of know what it is, but this is as good. I could make the argument that this is as good as the pitching staff has looked all season. I'm not going to put the blame on them because they're exceeding expectations. The offense has fallen short. Yeah, but the problem is the expectations weren't high enough. I mean, like if, if you they weren't. A, if you want to set it as a winning team, you know, when like, you have the fifth highest payroll in baseball, you know. Yeah, but the we, but but the but the the rotation as it was constructed was poor. Yeah. It was a bad off season constructing badly, rotation. Yeah. They, I mean, didn't, Rangers, they didn't. They're lucky it's it's worked for them. But the problem is they it's, are as good as he's been. Uh, he, you know, he's put it made, this way. He's made six told- starts. He's made six starts is the problem. Like, and, not- and that's been the revelation they found. Matt Moore and Chase Anderson, two guys you want in your rotation, have not worked. Spencer Howard has not worked. Vince Velasquez really has not worked. Zach Eflin's I could have told been- you the Velasquez thing. Eflin's yeah, well, out- I, that's what yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, yes. We've watched Vince Velasquez for years. We've watched him and it hasn't worked. My point is, is if the offense was half as good, like if the offense was a top 10, it's a, it's right in the middle of the pack. They're 15th in runs scored this season and even kind of worse since. And some of your hitters who have produced all season have really fallen off. If you got the offensive season that you expected from Real Muto, if you got the offensive season more so recently, you got a really good season for most of the year out of Segura. If that held up, if McCutcheon held up, like if you got the offense that we expected, I agree the pitching was low, but right now they're perhaps it is a low standard, but they're holding up their end of the bargain based upon what I like. My point is if the offense was playing the way it's designed to be played, and this team was certainly built around offense more so than it's pitching, this team would be playing well enough to where we're talking about them with a much more serious contention to win the national league East because they'd likely be leading it. Yes. Yes. I think you just, you look at the best teams and yes, their offenses, there's a lot of, great barnstorming offenses, but the teams that when you ask yourself, you know, how much do you trust them in the playoffs? Like, no, I don't want Matt Moore starting playoff games. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Right. Well, I think the reason why a lot of people are are trusting the teams like the giants and the Dodgers and those are the two teams. And also the Brewers too. I think those three teams in the national league, like those three teams feel really dangerous and the Brewers less. So I think I'm a little concerned about the health and the performance of the starting pitching as of late, but that's really what it comes down to because when it gets cold and you get to you know you get to October and this is not just an October thing. Think about all the variables that have changed for offenses over the last couple of years, right? Uh, the way you know spin rate from pitchers obviously is increasing. The quality of the baseball has changed, and also think about the emphasis on exit velocity and launch angle, right? So with all of those variables changing, I just would not want to build a team around like purely on offense and. This Phillies team is good enough on offense, but the problem is, and, and this is why I, I was wrong a little while ago. I said, hey, I do not think the Mets are going to catch the, the Phillies are going to catch the Mets. I was wrong because I, I assumed that when the, when the Mets got healthy, that things would go better for them, not they would be a complete shell of themselves when they got their team got healthy. The, the, the replaced Mets were better than the actual Mets. But think about this, Dan. The whole point I was making is, what is the Phillies record now? 
it's 66 and 64, correct? That's where they are now? Yes, yes. That's really, they, they didn't really actually kick it into gear from when we last talked. That's kind of what I was talking about. No, it, it was a it was a fraudulent kick into gear yeah. for about a week. Yeah. And the problem is you can't kick it into gear if if you're like I understand that the team's offense has not been up to expectations, but in the end you can overcome that when the pitching is good enough. Once again, the Mets earlier in the year were were you know dog you know what on offense, but the pitching came through and really supported them and helped that. That was my point: is that good pitching and timely hitting help you mitigate. What well, they don't get timely hitting to be quite frankly. I, I, it's, it's tough to find teams that do. It feels like a lot of teams don't hit well. The, the, this team squad. I mean, I, I can even give you just examples of the past few weeks have had runners on base. There was a game against this. This was it was against the diamondbacks. Uh, no, no against the rays uh, last Tuesday. So about six days ago, and it, it was a game that Joe Girardi left Zach Wheeler in too long, but second inning, and it's kind of unfortunate where they are in the lineup. They have the bases loaded, nobody out, and they get one total run. And you just know that a team like the Rays is totally going to make you pay for that. And they've had situation after situation after situation, you know, runners on third base, less than one out, not getting them in. Two runners in scoring position, not getting them in. Having the bases loaded with nobody out and only getting one run. Like, they're expected runs just because the lineup, frankly, isn't deep enough. Like, and... Bryce Harper isn't getting pitches to hit when you have either Andrew McCutcheon or Didi Gregorius hitting behind him. You don't have competitive at bats all the way through. And it seems like maybe they get a shot in one or two innings, but it's never everyone hitting at the same time. That's why I'm more disappointed in the offense, just because some of these, it seems like they give a lot of at bats away, especially in big spots. And the pitching, yeah, it's not at the level that you were describing with the Mets where the pitching was going out and winning them games. And you're not going to get any arguments from me that the Phillies have from top to bottom built this team in a very flawed manner. But I guess I had already entered the mindset of, well, if this pitching can just keep the team competitive, the Phillies will probably be in a half decent spot to make the playoffs. And right now the pitching is holding up. Like I would have no look kind of taken this as the rotation at the beginning of the season. I think it's actually better now than when we started with Matt Moore and Chase Anderson and you work in Velasquez. Like, I think it's deeper now. Nola's not been as good as you need him to be. Wheeler in need of a bounce back start tonight. But I think it's deeper now because of the emergence of Ranger Suarez and because of the acquisition of Kyle Gibson. And still the offense can't hold up their end of the bargain because everyone besides Bryce Harper is essentially underperforming at the moment. One more pause to the cause on today's show. A new sponsor here with the Locked On Nationals podcast. And that is our good friends at DirecTV. Does this sound familiar? You've got a device that lets you catch the game live and then the other device that lets you stream your favorite shows and you're watching your sports highlights on your phone and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you all about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without that hassle. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is also brought to you by rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is the best place 
to find all the parts you'll ever need for your car or truck, whether it's a work vehicle, a daily driver, a leisure vehicle, whatever it is, they've got it. And also, they've got the lowest prices. Why would you choose to spend up to 30, uh, 50, or even 100% more from a chain store if you could just go to rockauto.com? For example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store. It's only $216 at rockauto.com. They are a family-run business whose focus is putting out the best parts at the best prices. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box. That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, always low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Let's talk about the series this weekend. Um, the story tonight, really, in this game, I, I know the the Phillies, obviously the teams, the team that is closer to the playoffs than the than the Nats are. But the big story tonight is the fact that Nats catcher K. Bear Ruiz is going to be debuting. He was a uh, the two the two crown jewels of the trade Turner Max Scherzer trade, which once again I said this a bunch, but didn't take long to find themselves at the big league level, did it? Did not. And that and that was by design. And I um Josiah Gray has been the has been pitching for the Nats basically since they acquired him. He has been fantastic to watch. He is a guy that for Phillies fans who don't know, he will pound the strike zone relentlessly. That is what he likes to do. He gives up a lot of he gives up a, a lot of home runs for a guy who is still a good pitcher. That sounds like who? Max Scherzer. Uh, the stuff is not there. The wipeout stuff is not. Watch for the K. Bear Ruiz, uh, the K. Bear Ruiz, the Josiah Gray curveball. It is a nasty, nasty pitch. But he is a fastball first guy who's going to pound that zone. Look to put you away with location and that curveball usage. And it's something that the fans love. And then K. Bear Ruiz is going to come up. He is the catching prospect that the Nationals got. They traded away Jan Gomes to the Oakland A's. Uh, they also traded Brad Hand away to the um, Toronto Blue Jays. They got Riley Adams in return. So if you're a Phillies fan, uh, you know, you talk about, talk about JT Real Muto, a player the Nationals considered going in on. The Nationals have ended up with a pretty decent catching situation, all things considered now, because they've got a guy named Trace Barrera who is competing with Wiley Adams, who has been fantastic ever since coming over from Toronto. And also K. Ruiz figures to be catcher one. So you might see a few good catchers this week uh, during the, this, this series. And also tonight, this is a battery. The Nets hope is going to be here for the long haul. Josiah Gray to K. Ruiz, Dan. That is what is to watch for in the first game on the national side. Yeah, well, you're going to get a you very likely might get a catching prospect on the Philly side as well. Andrew Knapp hitting the COVID IL over the weekend, JT Realmuto battling a shoulder injury. Then he fouls a ball off his foot while he's playing first base. So I would guess there's a good shot. He's not behind the plate tonight. And if he is in the lineup that it will be at first base, of course, Reese Hoskins down right now. So they're rotating him. Brad Miller might see Alec Bohm put back into that spot. He was sent down to the minor leagues for those who didn't realize but Raphael Marchand is, you know, third up in terms of the catching prospect list. Lehigh Valley. Are you sure he's not a defenseman for the Flyers? Raphael Marchand. Raphael like Marchand. It sounds. It sounds Marchand, right? He sounds like he should be playing for them. For the, it sounds like he should be playing Flyers. hockey, right? No, no relation to Brad. Um, but he, uh, yeah. So he's been. He actually had a big hit in yesterday's game. He had a, 
Uh, this is his second year in the big leagues. He came up with a big home run late in last season. So he has played the big league level, and it's a catcher they do like in the organization. So would not be surprised to see him. What to watch for? I, I mean, it's got to be Bryce Harper. I, you like to hear a guy like Josiah Gray who throws strikes because the biggest issue with Harper has been getting pitches to hit. He has certainly walked a lot um, in games where Reese Hoskins has not been in the lineup. He certainly hit a lot of solo home runs. Uh, you would certainly like to see the lineup kind of get kickstarted a little bit better by Gene Segura. Real Muto batted second yesterday. We'll see if he's in the lineup or not. But this lineup kind of surrounds Bryce Harper. And what's really frustrating to me about this season, you might see another microcosm of it in this series because we know Bryce Harper loves to play uh, in Nat Parks in Nat's Park every time he returns. Right? He does. He's very Is good. Is that too. Bryce Harper? quite literally might have might be the national league MVP. Like he's currently, as we sit here at 1135 AM on Monday, August the 30th, he is the highest OPS in baseball. It's the only guy qualified over a thousand higher than Tatis, higher than Vlad Guerrero in the AL. And the knock on him for MVP is going to be two things. One is his home runs and RBI is more. So his RBI total is low, which I would, personally make the case for because a lot of runners frankly have not been on base for him and the second thing is is that his team has largely been a 500 team for most of the season and I I just don't doesn't sit right with me putting that blame on him this isn't like a quarterback in the NFL or a star player in basketball it's just really frustrating to me like it'll be bittersweet for me if he wins the MVP would obviously love to see Bryce win the MVP it's been a while since a guy in a Phillies uniform has done that uh, you got to go back to 2007 with Jimmy Rollins, but it's going to be frustrating to me that if he wins the MVP, he's likely going to do it on a 500 team. And the Phillies have wasted yet again uh, another year in his meaty prime. So that would be kind of a bittersweet award for me. He, I, he has been mashing the ball really, really well uh, a little bit. And Nats fans probably know this, but it has not gone away. An overly aggressive base runner. He uh, tried to tag up on a play that he had no shot on yesterday that's my only knock on Bryce but he's getting it done with the bat these days and it's just going to take the bottom of the lineup to come through a little bit more you know Freddie Galvis is back with the Phillies for Nats fans who did not realize he was on the team but injured the last time these two teams played so you're getting him at the bottom of the lineup you're getting TD Gregorius at the bottom of the lineup um, you're seeing a lot of McCutcheon behind Harper you now we got um, Jorge Bonifacio playing some center field you have Travis Jankowski playing some center field. Brad Miller might be lower in the lineup because he's at first base. These are not exactly names. Like they're good for what they are. They're, you know, good bench guys. They can play sometimes. But if you're playing those guys every day, their deficiencies are going to get exposed. I just don't think this lineup is good enough at the moment. They didn't get the year they were hoping for out of Alec Bohm, certainly defensively at third base, but even with the bat, which is his uh, advantage. So, they need to find a way to score a couple of runs. Usually it's which one of the guys who you don't expect to come through comes through, and then you hope you get a really, really solid outing out of Zach Wheeler here tonight, and uh, you know they can find a way to win behind him. Yeah, Zach Wheeler, actually, it feels like he hasn't had the best luck in the in the big-time pitching matchup with the, the Nats this year, whether it be against Josiah Gray this time around, or or Max Scherzer is the one he struggled with. Uh, it feels like Noah had a, a Noah. Feels like Wheeler had a bunch of good games against Scherzer and came up on the wrong end of it. Um, good news for the Phillies, though. The last two starters, 
Patrick Corbin and Paulo Espino. Paulo Espino looked good against the Mets, but that's a guy who can definitely be had. And Patrick Corbin, man, just an absolute disaster this season. Um, you know, I, I, I told people when I was previewing this series uh, for my podcast yesterday that uh, if you have, you know, be sure to go over to our friends at betonline.ag, of course. Bet, bet the over in the Matt Moore-Patrick Corbin game because both these guys are coming in with ERAs over six. Uh, that that could be a that could be a long one, and if there's ever a chance to get some offense out of these two teams, it's going to be on Tuesday night. Yeah, you stack that lineup with with righties against uh, against um, Matt Patrick Moore. Corbin, and and you'll do you'll do well. Yeah, you'll do pretty well uh, against Patrick Corbin. He is he's a pair of bad lefties. Yeah. Yes, it's going to be uh, it's going to be awful. Like if you, look, if you go into that game, be prepared to be there for a while. That game is not going to be a quick one. I say yeah, the, the, the Metro. Closes it off. Closes off at what, like 11? 11, 11. Yeah, well, you know, they, they keep it open for for the for the Nats games. Yeah, they they might need to keep it open a little late. I'm not sure they're going to be willing to do that with how late this one's going to go. So so we'll see on that front. And then uh, the last game is Paulo Espino, I think, against Aaron Nola. It is, and another even pitching matchup. Their ERAs are pretty similar too. Both yeah, which is funny. And then Paulo Paulo Espino is he's basically the like super diet. Ranger Suarez, nowhere near as good, nowhere near as good stuff. But ever since moving to a start to the starting role, um, it's been actually impressive to watch. Like the fact this guy is just thirty two years old, thirty four years old, excuse me, um, and didn't have a major league win until this year. And look, he, his ERA is respectable, four three one on the season. So last couple starts, I think have it's not thirteen. I think you flipped those numbers. Four one three, yes. Excuse me, four one three, yes. Uh, last month has not been good for for good old Paulo Espino, but but he is uh, his last starting or last outing. He had five innings, seven Ks, only one run allowed. So um, you know he is he for for fans who don't know, I think the Phillies have seen him probably once twice this year. But he is the Nats Ranger Suarez, just nowhere nearly as effective. But um, that is the guy I think also. Damn it, I think about the Phillies. Like he has just been absolutely unreal uh this year from a pitching pitching thing i also one more thing i want to note on the nats side of things uh i've been talking to basically everybody about this and i want to get your thoughts on this with juan soto with the way that he gets on base you know do you think the situation bat him lead off that you eventually bat him lead off i i think I, I, right I, I, I said i said that okay so it's funny you say this so i went down to nats park for the phillies nats series earlier in the month and i said to my friend who was at the game with i'm like if you're the Nationals at this point, he's the only uh, – correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, he's the only attraction to go down to Nats Park, right, just to see that guy hit. Unless you're a huge uh, Josh Bell guy, yes. So isn't the pur- the purpose just to get him as many as, at-bats as possible? Like no well, one's getting on base for him either. I, he, I said that then, just bat him lead he, off. Here's, here's, here's the way I would put it – here's the way I would frame it now is that, number one, is, is so I've been over his numbers the last month, and think about this, that – in the month of July, he hit something like 385. I uh, it was it was it was basically yeah like 385 something like that. And his on base in that month was uh, oh, I'm, I'm pulling it up uh, as we speak right now. So in the month of July for Juan Soto, he hit 356 with a 487 on base. This month he is hitting 284. With a 505 on base, so basically that is a, uh, a lot of walks, 80 point drop in 
in average. All right, roughly an 80 point drop in average, but but he's getting on base at a higher clip. He's he's getting on base at over half of his at bats. And the reason why I frame it like this is number one, I don't want to change his approach because he's such a good all around hitter, right? If you ask him to stress more and try to do more damage, which he's not, but if you were to do so, that would be bad. I also like the idea of giving other guys on the team opportunities to drive in runs. So maybe you do things like you hit Carter Keyboom second, or you hit Riley Adams third, or you hit, they like Lane Thomas right now, but hit him ninth because he's getting on base at a good clip. Es- you know, Escobar is not a young guy, so I dropped in the lineup. But put one first to give younger guys an opportunity to have guys on base and drive in runs so they can learn. And I think also ultimately – down the line, if you do try to build a good team again, maybe Juan's best place is leadoff because he's got pop. He's got, obviously, you know, he's got power both gaps, both ways. And he gets on base so much that, hey, you hit Kyle, Kyle Schwarber first for a reason. I think Juan, while he does not bring that level of power, that he has got such great power. He can swipe bags. He swiped his 30th bag of his career last night. Um, he's just such a good all-around player that I think hitting leadoff the fact that he's willing to never get cheated, that makes him an ideal leadoff hitter, especially if you begin to build around him there in that part of the lineup. Yeah, so it's funny because I said the same thing, and I'm not necessarily advocating for it, but I, the idea popped in my head of what if they just hit, what if they tried the Bryce Harper leadoff thing, right? Like the whole reason you bat your best hitter second or third or whatever the case is, is because you're hoping there's some, the leadoff guys and that's two hitter in some cases get on and that guy's driving and runs. You want Bryce Harper driving and runs. You want Juan Soto driving and runs in the nationals case, especially here. You're, you're punting on this season. You're just getting this guy at bats. You're playing for next year and beyond. I think this is the time to experiment with something like that. Like no one's going to kill. At least I wouldn't kill Dave Martinez for the lineups. He's rolling out. If he wants to try him in the leadoff spot, if he's going to be drawing a ton of walks and he's not getting any pitches to hit because of the guys behind him anyway, you might as well put him at the top and of the he, lineup. I, I think they're going to pitch. I think they'd pitch to him more. I know some people might say, well, they want to get to the guys behind him, but there are a lot of starting pitchers who, from a point of pride, their the first batter of the game, don't want to walk the leadoff guy, right? They don't want to do it. But I, I think you get a lot of situations where people might, right? You're, I'd rather face Lane Thomas with somebody on or I'd face Escobar or Luis Garcia or Riley Adams or K. Bear Ruiz. I'd rather face those guys with somebody on. But on the flip side of that, that's good for the Nats because you're getting young guys at bats with guys on base. And even if they don't have any pride and just, you know, even if they were to throw up the four and walk the guy, all right, well, then he did his job as a leadoff guy. He right. got on. You're right. You don't want him to change his approach. Part of what makes him so good is his eye at the plate and his antics in the box shuffling around like that. So you don't want to change him. You're not going to change his approach and of a guy who has been an absolute stud ever since he stepped on a big league field and the guy's 22 years old or whatever it is. And he's you want him to stay the same player that he is. And so if he's going to play like this and this is how you're going to pitch to him, I'd 100% advocate for teams in the Nationals position. If I were Dave Martinez, I'd have him batting in the leadoff spot tonight. A, you're getting the guy the most at bats. Not that the fans are your top priority in the development of your team, but you're letting the fans who actually showed up and are still coming to see you play 
despite the fact you're 20 games below 500. You're getting him the most at-bats possible. It probably makes the most sense because guys aren't getting on base for him anyway. Maybe the guys behind him, you rotate who that is, whoever's producing at that particular time. You try and allow him to hit him in. And then if he sees more pitches to hit and he hits home runs, well, then you say he wasn't doing that in the sp- as much in the spot he was in because if he's there in the second or third spot in the lineup, I think he was batting third in the game I was there. I'm sitting there like, like, what is the point of this? Like, you get the first two guys, you get two outs, you can you give him junk up there. You hope he swings at it. He doesn't usually. He'll do the shuffle, he'll walk. The two-out walk, you're not going to get anything going from that. The leadoff walk, much more damaging and you're right on the pride thing, kind of much more likely that he would see at least something. So, no, I, if I were in any case, this isn't just Soto specifically, if I were out of it and I had one really, really good player, like a bona fide star and a lot of scrubs hitting around him, I'd absolutely bat that guy leadoff, no matter if he's a traditional leadoff hitter or not. But you're right. He has the on base to back it up. This isn't a guy who just swings for the fences like he's got a good eye at the plate. It's kind of like a leadoff hitters approach. I understand why usually you'd want to hit him a little bit lower in the lineup second or third because of those power numbers that he has shown an ability to produce but at this yeah, point, I think what's the point? Fun experiment. just just get him at the plate it's a fun right. experiment just get him at the plate as much as possible and the thing is the approach for him never changes but depending on where the lineup he hits you know it doesn't, it doesn't change no he doesn't care yeah yeah uh all right dan let's wrap it up with some predictions your prediction for the series is what so I like the Phillies tonight. I think Wheeler has a big start in him coming tonight. Hopefully Joe Girardi doesn't leave him in too long this time around. So I like the Philly. And it seems like every time I do this, by the way, whenever I say, all right, they'll win the Wheeler start, that'll be the one game they don't win, right? <laughs> I think the Phillies find a way to win two of three here. My biggest concern is how much ground that will actually make up against the Braves. I, they're playing the Dodgers this weekend. This was a big stretch for the Phillies trying to make up ground on the Braves, despite how much I kind of dismissed the optimism people should have with the easy schedule. They did play the di- four games against the Diamondbacks over the weekend and now three games coming up against the Nationals. I mean, those are games you just have to have. They're three and one in that stretch so far. But the Braves winning two of three against the Giants, you know, if they're going to play big against big teams, especially on the road, you don't want to tip your cap to them, but they're taking care of business, right? So hopefully the Dodgers can take at least two of three from the Braves. Hopefully the Phillies can get two or three from the Nationals. We're looking at a team who's three and a half out come Thursday, something like that, and you enter the month of September essentially within a little bit more striking distance than you're in right now, making up a game, maybe a game and a half or two, because I believe the Braves play on Thursday in Colorado. The Phillies do not. Don't have a ton of faith in the Colorado Rockies, but we'll get to that bridge uh, when we get to it. The one thing I will say is that the first two games of this series, as you know, one of my favorite stats about the Phillies this season, in the month of August, the game on Wednesday will mean September. This team is due for its uh, beginning of the month surge, Josh. I, as you know, 24-6 and six, uh, in the first week of a month. It seems like this team goes on winning streaks. I mean, the winning streak to begin the month of August was the largest by far they've had all season. But they seem to get hot on like a four-week recurring cycle. So... I would not be surprised if they make this thing interesting again. Would not be surprised. I think they will go down. I'll be a little bit optimistic here. Say they win two of three in Nats Park. That would be very fitting for them to lose two of three and kind of go back towards the 500 mark. I say they win two of three. The Nationals are unimpressive to say the least right now. Uh, they do seem to play. They played well the last time they were there. I think they keep a little bit of that rolling. What would be very on brand for the Phillies is winning two of three and then 
you know, going and losing two of three in Mar, in, not, sorry, Lone Depot Park down in Miami this weekend. So that would be my biggest fear. Uh, hopefully they have a surge here at the beginning of September, like it seems like they do at the start of every month. And they're obviously going to need to keep that going throughout the rest of the month and hope the Braves start losing some games here, especially against the better teams on the road. Because if they're going to win two of three from the Giants and then go to Dodger Stadium and win two of three, uh, the Phillies might not be hanging around realistically for much longer. Yeah, I'm going to go. I, I think the Phillies take two or three in this series. All right, Dan, where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? Yes, uh, on Twitter at Dan underscore Wilson four. Uh, uh, the podcast on Twitter at LO underscore Phillies. And of course, you can subscribe to Locked on Phillies the same way you subscribe to Locked on Nationals on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Simply search Locked on Phillies. Perfect. You can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. You can find the show on Twitter at LO underscore Nationals. And same thing as Dan said, find it wherever you guys get your podcast. It was fun, Dan. Always is. Before we get out of here, I want to say one thing. Uh, normally, as I end the podcast, I always say, please stay safe, everybody. But on today's, that's really true. I know there's Nats fans all across the country. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you know anybody who's affected by Hurricane Ida, I'm thinking of you. Um, hope everybody's staying safe and really help out one another. And, and please, this time, until next time, my friends, as always, stay safe, especially this time, though.